Hi, this is Vic Nitty, Chair of the AUA Office of Education, and I'd like to welcome you to another AUA Office of Education podcast. Today's podcast is on increasing workplace diversity, attracting and retaining women and minority urologists. Uh, I would like to introduce my co-host for this podcast, Dr. Rena Malik. Dr. Malik is Assistant Professor of Surgery in the Division of Urology and is the Director of Female Pelvic Medicine and Reconstructive Surgery at the University of Maryland School of Medicine in Baltimore. Um, I'm happy to say that I've known uh, Rena from early on in her career uh, when she was a medical student, and it has been so nice to see her uh, just progress from medical student to resident to fellow and now to um, into an academic career uh, in urology. So, Rena, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been so wonderful learning from you all these years. Yeah, I have to say that as 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 you get older, it's just it is such a a pleasure to see our uh, our students become our colleagues. Um, it, it gives it gives a real sense of satisfaction. Now, Rena has been particularly interested in workplace diversity. Um, I can't think of anybody better to discuss this topic with us. So I thought we'd start out by just talking a little bit about the current status of women and um, and minorities uh, in urology. Now, it seems to me that certainly there are more women in urology than there were when I started, uh, but perhaps there is still some significant disparities in the workplace. So, Rena, what's, what's the current status? Yeah, so based on the AUA census from 2018, female urologists are about 9.2% of practicing urologists, and in residency, about 25%. And when you look at minorities, specifically Hispanics and African-Americans, Hispanics make up about 3.9% of practicing urologists and uh, African-Americans make up 2.2%. And the resident number is also a little bit higher than that. There's 4% Hispanic residents and 3.5% Black residents. So we do have some minorities and women in urology, but we're still not um, anywhere close to parity. Why do you think that is? Well, some of it is based on, you know, we we are uh, what the pipeline is. So it's certainly underrepresented minorities are underrepresented in medical school. So if you look at the AMC data, 8.2% uh, of matriculating students are African-American and only 6.2% are Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish. Women are now, uh, you know, almost nearly half. So about 48% are women in medical school. So some of that is just... Where we're, where we're choosing our, or where people are finding urology, which is in, in medical school. Now, one thing that I have really appreciated in my career um, it, it are, are the benefits of diversity. You know, at UCLA, uh, I work in a, in a very, what I feel is a, is a diverse environment. Um, I, you know, I grew up in a very heterogeneous environment, uh, but as as I've gotten uh, further on in my career, I have certainly uh, seen the benefits of 
diversity in the workplace to me. I'd like to get some of your thoughts on benefits of diversity in the workplace. Absolutely. Well, I think if you look even in the business literature, they found that when you bring groups of people together with differing viewpoints or perspectives, you're getting the best results, the best outcome of whatever that business is trying to achieve. And so in our area of medicine, particularly, we found that people who are underrepresented or having gender diversity will improve the quality of care because those people are more likely to address minority specific issues and even provide more access to underserved patient populations. They can also tend to do more research in those areas. So we're expanding our research portfolio that way. Yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I mean, I have just benefited and I think my team has benefited so much from um, from diversity in the workplace and just different cultural points of view. It brings a different perspective. And I think it really does change the way that that one views a lot of things. I know it, it, it has greatly changed the way um, I view practice, the way I view uh, my patients, the way I view research. So I, I can personally attest to um, to reaping the benefits of working with a diverse group of faculty, with a diverse group of uh, residents, fellows, uh, et, cetera, uh, et cetera. What do you see as some of the major issues that are relevant to women and underrepresented minorities? Well, so there's a lot. I'll try to break it down. I'll start with women and then I'll talk about minorities because there's some similarities, but there are some differences. So I would say, you know, with women, the, the data in urology, there is some. So the AUA census actually looked at uh, how women felt about gender bias and professional growth and collaborative opportunities. And about 30% of women said that their professional growth was limited based on gender. And 11% felt that collaborative opportunities are limited to gender. And there's actually data to support that in academic medicine where they found that men tend to collaborate more often with other men. There's also issues with uh, urologists, female urologists, think that they're feeling limited to seeing specific types of patients or diagnoses due to gender. And there's shockingly, 52% felt that they actually had some issues with sexual harassment or had witnessed sexual harassment in the workplace. So those are some specific issues. And then moving on to kind of work-life balance, when you look at the way that people manage their home responsibilities uh, or day-to-day -day family responsibilities, 20% of women are primarily responsible for family day-to-day uh, -day responsibilities, whereas only 2% of men are. And, and only 25% of women can really rely on their partner to be primarily responsible in that place. So there, there is some differences just based on cultural expectations and things of that nature in the work-life balance situation. So, oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Okay, so in in urology, if you look at the literature on what we have what we have for disparity in gender, we find that women are less often represented in advanced leadership positions. But we do actually do a pretty good job in general across most you know subspecialty society leadership and things like that. But more advanced leadership like chairmanships or board of directors, uh, women are not as well represented, and women are less. Uh, have a delay to promotion by 1.2 years when you look at assistant to associate pr 
uh, associate professor. And then there's also looked at how often they're authoring papers, how often they're receiving funding or achieving PI status, and that's less often than their male counterparts. Uh, and then lastly, when you look at salary disparities, controlling for age, call frequency, work hours, practice setting, and fellowship status, they're earning 76,000 less than their equivalent male counterparts. So there are still some active disparities uh, that we need to address in women. Now, Rena, do you have any idea the disparities that you just mentioned are, is the gap or has the gap been narrowing, let's say in the last one to two decades, are, are, are we making progress towards e evening things out and having less disparities? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things ongoing that people are doing to change the the makeup of disparity. So being intentional about including women in, you know, leadership positions or sponsoring women or mentoring women, and also trying to kind of do specific things that can standardize um, or, or kind of narrow that gap. So for example, there was some work done in Hopkins and at Stanford where they actually implemented a number of changes to improve the number of uh, of people that were women that were recruited in uh, in faculty, and they did things like making sure that faculty search committees were reviewed. They developed faculty awards that were specific to women, had professional development programs and skill building workshops, and that has actually increased the proportion of women on faculty. And uh, so there there it, there are active measures looking to reduce that disparity and things that are being ongoing being done to improve that as well. So I know that in in some of the training that I've had, uh, particularly when it comes to uh, search committees, et cetera, we are taught about the phenomenon of implicit bias and how that kind of plays a role it's almost unavoidable so first of all talk to us a little bit about implicit bias and how we can sort of guard against that as as individuals yeah so absolutely i think the first thing is just for people who don't know that word it's essentially an unconscious stereotype or an attitude that affects what we say and do and sometimes and virtually everyone has implicit bias and it can even be counterintuitive to what we truly believe or we think that we consciously believe and it tends to favor our in-group so for example uh you know a white male would favor white males so on and so forth so the ways to combat implicit bias it goes above and beyond kind of just a training that tends to oversimplify it a lot of us have gone through implicit bias training but the goal is that we need to improve our awareness of implicit bias and have concern for that improvement so the way to do that is to dedicate either your practice or your institution has to dedicate themselves to actually improving implicit bias and then monitor that improvement. So first, there are different tests that you can do to assess your implicit bias. There's implicit association tests that you can um, take and, and see where you lie on that implicit bias and then identify areas that it might impact your activity. So whether it's hiring, promotion, uh, patient care, and then implement specific strategies to counter these biases. So for example, if you have race and gender bias, you could try to specifically recruit 
a female African-American to come speak at Grand Rounds to kind of do a stereotype replacement or counter stereotype imaging. You can also try to individualize and find information specific to the group that you may have implicit biases towards and increase opportunities for contact. So there's a lot of ways, but it needs to be ongoing and you need to continue to measure the progress that you're making on the changes that you're actually implementing. So I, I want to flip this a little bit, and let's say we have a situation where um, we have a, a, a group or a department that is attuned to diversity, and they really do want to do want to attract women and underrepresented minorities into their practice or department. What are some of the tips to attract and retain? those folks in in your working environment? Well, so I think, uh, you know, obviously you want to, before you would proceed with that, make sure that you are creating a culture of respect, equity, and inclusion in which you're going to hire that person. And then you want to kind of standardize recruitment and onboarding so that your new hires are not subject to implicit biases. So whether that's having specific types of questions that you ask or being uh, being available to to, you know, um, to offer sort of certain types of mentorship or sponsorship to your new hires and and support them in that way. You also want to maybe uh, support their involvement in regional societies. So there are like the Society of Women in Urology or the R. Frank Jones Urologic Society or the Latinos in Surgery Group that, you know, you want to ensure that they're aware that you support them in those endeavors. And then you want to conduct kind of annual re reviews of your progress with them. So whether it's discussing doing diversity engagement surveys to make sure that they're feeling supported and all their issues are addressed. And then again, you want to kind of measure your progress in some way, whether that's job satisfaction surveys, assess your recruitment costs because you're recruiting less and your recruitment is more intentional or productivity measures, those things can be helpful. So here, this one may be a little bit of a tough question, but how does an employer, let's say an, an employer or a group uh, or a department has made a decision that they, they want to uh, become more diverse. They want women and underrepresented minorities in their practices or departments. You know, how do how do how does one go about making that person feel welcomed and needed without making them feel well? I'm only being hired because I'm a woman, or I'm only being hired because I'm a minority. Um, we want to hire good quality people who are women and yeah, who are think, minorities. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a challenging question, but I think that if you've done the work to really create an environment where you are working on improving implicit biases and minimizing microaggressions and we didn't really talk too much about that, but microaggressions are essentially activities that are subtle, verbal, or nonverbal behaviors that arise from this implicit bias. And those over time can really impact, you know, the the mind state of of minorities and women. Um, and so these things, if you can limit those and really be conscious of those, 
around you know around your colleagues that you're trying to hire that will speak you know really speak to to your commitment to diversity and also you know acknowledging where your limitations are or where you need improvement even to that particular person you're trying to hire be like we're working on this, this is, we're really committed to this and kind of making that known and you know not burdening them with the responsibility of taking that on to improve the diversity but really telling them we're committed and we want to work together and we want you to help us see where our deficits might be what about situations in which things are the opposite so let's say there are groups that are predominantly minority or predominantly women how important is it for them to include who might a person who might traditionally be, be thought of as a majority so you know how about diversity in areas that are predominantly made up of of women you know how important is it to um have a male in a practice that's predominantly a woman's practice etc we don't talk much about that but you know what about something like that oh i think that's extremely important it again goes back to the idea that when we have a diverse workforce we're we're including the viewpoint of all of all the different variety of people and in incorporating that into our decision making because it's easy to find people that are like you and and are similar to you and all have similar ideas because you all face similar work-life balance issues or same issues with patient care whatever it is same discriminatory issues but if you don't have a viewpoint from even the majority then you you won't be able to see the varied perspective from them. So for example, if you have a group of women who are discussing issues about how to, how to deal with, for example, microaggression, they may say, well, that's totally unacceptable and not think about the, the part of actually educating that person because someone from the majority who may have made that comment would say, well, I didn't really know that and I didn't mean to, to be offensive, but if they don't take that into into consideration, then they may actually burn that bridge and that that was there because they didn't take that person's viewpoint into into account. Is there something you know, as the field of urology, and for those of us in academics, are there things that we can do to attract more? women and even i mean the 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 underrepresented minority numbers were pretty stunning that you that you told us about both in urology and i guess in medical school in general and i guess it's if there's only a certain number of underrepresented minorities in medical school it's hard for us in urology to pull them into urology because there just aren't that many to begin with but what are some of the things that we can do to um, to to sort of let get the word out to to women, and I think even more so underrepresented minority underrepresented minorities, because the numbers are so low that you know urology is a great field, and um, we need you in this field. We need you to 
to, to round out our diversity, to help us take care of uh, patients with similar cultural, um, cultural backgrounds, et cetera. Not only them, but to, to take care of patients with different cultural backgrounds. But how can we as a specialty um, attract underrepresented minorities into, into urology? Well, I think on an individual level, certainly there are, you know, more institutional levels by, you know, incre increasing the the uh, diversity pool in medical school. That that's kind of above and beyond what we as individuals can do. But you know, as an individual, it can be as simple as finding the interest group in your medical school for black medical students or Latino medical students and talking and saying, hey, we'd like to give a talk on urology and, it, and then continuing to be mentors for those people and finding opportunities for them. There are now, uh, you know, there are now sub eyes that are, are offering some scholarships or programs that are offering some scholarships to underrepresented minorities in urology. And that's a great way that they're highlighting their commitment to to diversity in their particular program. And I think more things like that will allow medical students who are interested in urology to be exposed to, to our field. And so certainly doing those things and then sponsoring those people for, for once they are in our field, sponsoring them to do things like give talks or be on members of boards because they're more likely to then stay in academics or be involved in that way because I didn't get to the underrepresented minority data, but it, it basically shows that underrepresented minorities are more likely to leave academics and have lower rates of retention than non-minority colleagues. So that is definitely an issue in underrepresented minorities and something that we should be striving to improve. Do you think in academics we do a, a poor job of retaining underrepresented minorities in academic environments? I mean, it would sound sounds like we are if the numbers speak to that. Well, I don't know about urology because it's such a small group. We can't can't get meaningful data, at least to now. In urology, what we found is that, um, you know, very minimal data. But what we have is that non-Hispanics authored more papers than Hispanics based on 2017 AUA census data. We don't have much more than that. But in medicine, academic medicine, underrepresented minorities have reported lower career satisfaction and leaving academic medicine at higher rates. But I can't speak to urology specifically. Uh, but I think ultimately we do need to make efforts to improve that in whatever way we can. Being mindful that the issues that there are specific issues to underrepresented minorities that we can't understand because we don't necessarily live those issues, but really making an effort, like I've said, to to meet with them regularly, talk about their work life satisfaction, their 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 issues they're encountering on a yearly basis, so that we can make strides and commit to diversity at the workplace. So as we sort of finish up what I'd like to ask you is if you could sort of take three or four things that you would like to see are different, let's say a decade from now than they are now with respect to diversity in the workplace, what would those three or four things be? Well, I think you know, there are things that I think would really improve the the diversity in the workplace, and that would really 
I would really love to see more representation of women and underrepresented mi minorities in higher leadership positions, because I think that in and of itself will offer people to see those people and identify people who look like them, who they want to mentor, they want to be mentored by, they want to, they see themselves in them and potentially themselves becoming urologists. So I think that's extreme. That's one major thing I'd love to see. Second, I think that you know, discussing these things in a more standardized fashion on a regular basis and not just like a one-off training, I think would be extremely useful. So at Maryland, we've started this cultural complications M&M in our general surgery department, uh, which is available online for people who are interested. But they cover 12 core themes in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they're cases, basically, and they're presented during M&M. And they go over key terminology, the scientific evidence, and then they offer these cases that can then dis spur discussion uh, within the group and can be really helpful for people to discuss, like, oh, I didn't say anything wrong with that, or I did, and this is why, and in a non-threatening not, you know, in a more constructive educational way. So I think those sorts of things would be really helpful. And then I think ultimately, you know, the third thing that I, I would really like to see is just that people are, are feeling more comfortable asking you know, questions about diversity and, and asking people of minority groups how they, you know, from a place of curiosity and education, how they can do better on an individual level and what things that that could be changed, because those are that's where discussion happens and that's how things are implemented and improved over time. So I think really that's um, just being able to talk about these things openly is really important. Well, that's great. Well, I thank you so much for your perspective on this. It's it's an important topic. Um, you know, certainly, uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, uh, workplace diversity, workforce diversity um, has, uh, you know, I have just really seen the benefits uh, of that, uh, particularly in the last decade uh, for myself and my team. And I think that um, I, I, I'd like to think that I'm better because of it. Um, I look around at the, the people I have worked with, the people that I have worked for, uh, the people that uh, I have trained and the people that have trained me. And it is a diverse group. Uh, and um, I, I can think of little things that I've learned or taught, mostly learned from myself, um, uh, from uh, people of various genders, backgrounds, uh, et cetera. Uh, that I think have really contributed to my own development, and I and I I would encourage um, others to be equally open to diversity in the workplace. As I I, I just think it's it's an incredibly important thing, uh, and I'm happy to see people like you who share that passion, and um, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get the message out, and um, we'll continue to. Uh, expand our horizons and uh, um, make things look similar by making them look equally diverse, uh, which I think would be really nice. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. So again, I'd like to thank uh, Dr. Rena Malik uh, from 
uh, the Division of Urology at the University of Maryland. Uh, I would like to thank uh, all of you for listening to this podcast. Um, and as always, if you'd like more information, please visit auanet.org university. Thank you.